Oh, look at that story. Oh, man, you must be so proud. You got through that first draft and everything, right? That was tough. Well, let me get my red pen. It's time to edit. There it is. Beautiful, pristine, black ink on white paper. Letters forming words, forming sentences, forming paragraphs, telling your story, fiction or nonfiction, describing what you're seeking to describe in a poem or a song lyric. All of that work, all of that effort, to create this beautiful, beautiful literary baby in front of you. And you know it'll grow up to be a huge success. You know in your heart this is the greatest piece of literature written in your homeland. Nay, written in the world. You're a beautiful child that will grow up to be something amazing. It's going to be great. You just have to protect it and never touch it. Now, this is what goes through your head when you've done that first draft. It still goes through my head when I've done my first draft. You look at your piece and you go, oh my God, it's so wonderful. And you feel so good because you finished something. You've got a bunch of stuff in your head onto the page and it's perfect. Because you're deluded and you're pretending that it's perfect because you don't want to admit it has problems. And truth be told, it does. It's a first draft. There's a reason we write a first draft. There's a reason there's a first draft and not just a draft. Because we know it's going to need to be worked on. It's inherent in the process. It's been said that editing and rewriting are the core of writing. And to a large extent, that's true. First drafts are just getting things on the page. For a new writer, getting the first draft done is the biggest hurdle they will have to overcome in the start of their, of their work. Not jumping to 80 different projects, but sitting down and finishing one will be huge. The next hurdle that we all have to overcome is being able to sit down and edit. And then the third would be shipping, and we'll talk about that later. So we're on that editing hurdle now. We're going to talk about how we take our beautiful five pounds, six ounce manuscript baby and cut it up. That got dark fast, didn't it? Holy shit. And, and, whew, I thought that metaphor was going somewhere else. Now, we're going to take our manuscript and we're going to have to edit it. And editing is hard because you love what you did. And going back and cutting things from it or adding to it can be difficult. And the thing is, we can't do one or the other, right? So let's talk about the critical editing mistake of cutting too much or adding too much, right? This happens when you're like 
I, I met a writer recently who loves Stephen King's on writing, and it's a great writing book. It really is. And King advises you to cut 10% of what you work, of what you've written. And uh, this person took that to like, well, I can cut 50%. And by the end, there's like almost no story left. They, they just cut all kinds of stuff, all kinds of interesting shit too. Stuff that provided like texture and, and flavor and made the story interesting. They cut it down to effectively see Jack, see Jack run, see Jack, see spot. Like it became really minimal. And, and I'm not against minimalist writing, but it still has to have texture and flavor. And they cut all of that out, too. There's the other side, which I like to call the Lord of the Rings school, which is, oh my god, there's so much stuff here you need to know about my short story. You need to know all this stuff. Let me hammer all of this on there. And it becomes kind of like a Frankenstein's monster of a house like, you can see where the house was, but now the house also has, like, you know, a castle tower off to one side, and there's, like, a UFO-themed playroom. And look, I'd probably live in that thing. But, you know, it just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of cogent sense. So, when we talk about editing, we're talking about finding the middle road. We don't want to cut everything away, you know? We don't, yes, you could make a table out of a cinder block in a pizza box, but we don't necessarily want to do that. But we also don't want to tack on so much to the table that we're not sure what the hell it is anymore, right? Like, it's a table, but I welded a toaster onto it, and a coffee maker, and a TV, and there's a place for you to put your toenail clippings, and I also put a fuzzy patch on the side just because I thought your feet might want a fuzzy thing. Right, we don't need the Swiss Army table either. So, how do we find that middle road? How do we take our child and help it grow in a way that we that we can do? Well, hopefully, you've been listening, and you listened to the last episode where we talked about getting distance. Hopefully, you've gotten some distance from it, so it's not raw and fresh. And if you haven't, then that is your first step. Get some distance. Right, You can't do this right away. So get some distance from what you're working on. Great. You got distance, you're reading it with a new set of eyes. Now, I go in what I call three waves of editing. You don't have to do these as waves. You can do these all at the same time. I just do them as waves because I find my mind, because I'm an autistic, my mind has me looking at words differently. So approaching each writing wave differently helps me. So let's talk about these three editing waves or three editing principles if you want to do them all at the same time. And hopefully this will help you get your story edited that you've been working on. So wave one, principle one, cutting, right? Stephen King says cut 10%. Uh, Strunk and White kind of famously said as one of their principles, eliminate unnecessary words, right? Um, If you haven't read Strunk and White, then I suggest you do so. Really, 100%. I think the best way to become a good editor is to read things like Strunk and White or Dreyer's English or things like that. Are they super great, really exciting reads? Not unless you really love grammar. I know some of you do. Uh, But, guys, you got to up your game 
as a writer, and the way you do that is by reading style manuals and things like that, and then learning from them. Plus, Drunk and White, you can get it for a couple bucks, and I mean, you can flip through it in an afternoon easily. I mean, you can flip through it in an hour, but in an afternoon, if you really want to think about what that stuff means to you. So that that was where a lot of that advice about cutting comes from. So what am I talking about when I'm talking about cutting? When I do a cutting pass, I cut repetitive stuff, right? And this is weird because if you've read my writing, sometimes I use repetition to add texture, but sometimes repetition is accidental. Sometimes as I'm writing a first draft, I will say a line and then repeat it within a paragraph and be like, why did I do that? I'll just rewrite it. You know, it's a rewritten repetition and it's just kind of crazy. So that's that's what I look for. I start looking for those. I look for, like, have I gone on a Dickens-style, like, adjective bender? And look, I'm going to go ahead and go right on the record and say I'm not initially opposed to adjectives or adverbs. I don't care. I mean, adverbs are weird. I'm not sure you need to use them. You could. I mean, I struggle sometimes with them, too. I think every writer does. I think it's, it's, it's the Empire Strikes Back debate of writing to be like, adverbs suck, because so many writers have said adverbs suck. And they do to a degree, but I mean, I fall back on them too, and I know a lot of other writers who do as well. Ideally, you want to look for stronger verbs, so that's something you can do. If you've fallen into the adverbs trap during the cutting phase, look at your verbs and see, can you replace that adverb-verb combination with a stronger verb? Um, Pull out those unnecessary adjectives. Dickens got paid by the word, you do not. I mean, you might not. You probably don't. So get rid of some of those. You know, unless you need them, right? Unless they're part of, like, I sit, I satirize uh, self-help. I do a lot of self-help, self-development, life-coaching satires. And in the literature I'm satirizing, they use copious amounts of adjectives. So I tend to, as a satirical technique, use long lists of adjectives. Um, but that's a technique. And when I go back and edit those pieces, I know why I'm doing it. It's not extraneous. I know what I did there. That's That's the idea. Right, but I still check it to make sure it's good. Is it funny? Is it working? So that's what I mean when I say cutting. You know, is there extra stuff? Do you have extra stuff with characters talking about shit that has nothing to do with the story? Do you have moments that really just don't move the story forward? But like you're thinking, sometimes we think in terms of film. A lot of people who are writers now grew up like I did on movies. And we think in terms of film, and in film you can have these little side scenes that may not necessarily move the plot forward in and of themselves with the things being talked about do, uh, and vice versa. So in a novel or a short story, that can get slow and ponderous. So I need you to take time and, and look at those and make sure that everything's moving the story forward in its way. So the, the essence here is just cut the extra stuff. I gave you a bunch of examples. That was kind of a rapid-fire thing. Play this back slower. Uh, and listen to me a little slowly, a little more slowly speak that to you. But yeah, that's the idea. You're just cutting the unnecessary stuff. Read it. And when you read, can I make a suggestion, guys? Pro tip, editing pro tip. When you read, read your shit out loud. Do it 100%. Sit down and read it out loud to yourself. Because when you say things, you're going to be surprised how bad they sound. Like you're going to see a sentence in your head and go, I've done this. I'll see a sentence in my head and I'll read it and I'll be like, oh man, that's, that's pretty good. Then I'll read it out loud and be like, what the hell have I done? What kind of plotting, meandering, elephantine, elephantine juggernaut of a sentence have I constructed there? No, we've got to change that. Read out loud and do your cuts, right? Now, 
the other pro tip here is open a second document on your computer. I assume you're editing on your computer. Open a second document and put your editing into a second document. Or use something like Google Docs that has a revision history feature so you can go back. Because you may not want to lose stuff. There's stuff here you may not want to lose. So make sure you're keeping everything. Because you may cut something today and be like, oh no, I need that. And then if you just deleted it and got rid of it permanently, well, you're not going to remember it when you need it back. That's just the way it is. You know? So, that's the cutting phase. Rule one, cut. Rule one, cut. Phase two, principle two, rule two, fill. What do I mean by fill? I mean fill in gaps in your story, fill in plot holes, eliminate plot armor, all that cheesy shit that creeps into the stuff we do. Get rid of it. Take the time, right? You don't want a plot hole. Right? Like, you don't. You don't want a great, big, hairy plot hole. It sounds like, oh, how bad can it be? Terrible. What do I mean by a plot hole? I mean something that is brought up and addressed, but sits gapingly wide open the entire time. It's never really talked about, right? Just something that is missing. You know, usually these are things like when we do... This is really common in fantasy writing, actually. Fantasy and science fiction writing, this happens a lot where you write something and then you're kind of like, wait, what? How? Like, how did that happen? Huh? It happens all the time. Plot holes are just these big expanses and la and leaps of logic where you have to ignore things to keep the, the thing moving forward. And a lot of times they can be ignored. I'm going to be honest. Here it is. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I love it. It's my favorite series of movies ever. And yet, Star Wars has plot holes aplenty. Right, it does. It has plot holes aplenty, largely due to the fact that those scripts were were written over the course of like you know six, seven years, nine years, I think actually. Like, and and they went through multiple revisions and things were dropped. Right, so like in the first movie, we don't really establish Luke and Leia's brother and sister. They're kind of eerily close. They're kind of eerily close in the first movie, which leads to this plot hole of like, man, brother and sister came awfully close to bumping uglies. And their brother and sister, they just seem to be cool with it. And of course, Luke can kind of sense it, but he didn't really have the force in the first movie. So, you know, it's okay that his like incest radar wasn't going off. You see what I'm saying? And I love that movie, by the way. That doesn't destroy it for me at all. I'm very easy, easily able to jump over it. But guys, if you were presenting a new reader with a new story and has a gaping plot hole in it, they might not be so forgiving. Remember, I first watched those movies when I was a child, like three years old, right? So they have the nostalgia hooks in me. Your reader's not going to have the nostalgia hooks when they read your short story. Don't give them a big plot hole. Go back and fill that in. Any gaps in the story, fill that in. Any time jumps, make sure the time jumps are appropriate and that that's what you want to do. Just make sure you didn't leave anything gapingly open. Fill that stuff in. Get rid of things like plot armor, right? Oh, I hate plot armor. Oh, if I had a thing that pisses me off, it's plot armor. And what do I mean by plot armor? I mean, character A is going to be our savior. And I want to put character A in dangerous situations, but I don't want character A to be killed. Consequently, character A will never actually be able to be killed. And it will become very obvious after a couple of moments that this character can't be killed until the climax. So it will destroy the tension 
right? You will never feel afraid for that character's safety because I've made it obvious they're not going to be hurt. That's that's a big deal. Right, look, I think Lord of the Rings has some has some writing stuff in it that I don't always love, but one of the great things is like hurting Frodo early on and establishing that Frodo could die. And like we off Boromir and stuff. Like we show that people can die. Stuff happens. People can die, things fall down, people drop. Like this is legitimately dangerous. And so we fear for them when they're making their journey. Get rid of plot armor, fill in plot holes, cover up those leaps of logic. You want your reader to have a nice nice walk through your story. They may have to go up a cliff. They may have to do some stuff. They may have to earn it a little bit. But you don't want them to deal with like hidden pits that they're going to fall into, not be able to get out of, and go, screw it, I'm done. Fill in. So cut, fill, phase three, rule three, principle three, answer. What do I mean answer? When you tell a story... You are probably presenting to your reader a series of questions, at very least one big question about what's going to happen in the end, right? It's sort of the critical writing question, and then what happened? So when you do this, you're, you're presenting questions, you're bringing this stuff up for your reader. This phase asks, did you answer them? When you presented questions for your reader, whether they were the main plot or about side characters or things like that, When you pop those questions in, and we use questions to create tension and to arouse interest, did you take the time to make sure that they are answered? It's important. Did you take the time to make sure they are answered? Did you sit down and say, okay, I asked this question, and I asked this question, and I asked this question, and this one got answered, and this one got answered, and this one got answered. Was there payoff for the story? Right? Was there payoff? For example, I wrote a horror story uh, where, you know, kind of, it's, it's kind of a horror trope at this point, but whatever. I wrote a horror story where the, char- the killer wasn't who you thought the killer was. And I told it through two, like, close third-person perspectives. Um, so I, I played with that a lot. I like unreliable narrators. You didn't, they weren't who you expected. Things were a little bit different than you thought. But to do that well, instead of just saying, ha twist ending, I had to ask questions and present weird things along the way to make you wonder if they were reliable and who was telling the truth. Well, when I edited that piece, I went back and was asking myself, did I answer that those questions? Did I give you the payoff? Was that satisfying? When the twist happens in the climax, are you like, holy crap, that's cool. You know, that's good. That's what I was trying to do. And to be fair, because I can hear someone out there going, well, I ended on a cliffhanger, Matt. I ended that story on a cliffhanger. But the cliffhanger was not based on the promise of the story. The story went complete, beginning, middle, end. There was a fulfilled cycle in the story. It's just I ended it on a cliffhanger. You need to make that story have payback for people. You do. You need to, that story has to have payback, payoff, payback. It has to. Your story better get even with that fucking reader. No, your story has to have payoff. They have to be able to sit down and read it and feel at the end that it was worth their time and that they got what you promised them. Now I'm going to tell you right now. If you just do an editing run yourself of those three phases, cut, fill, and answer, 
your story is going to be better. I'm, I'm not kidding. Do cut, fill, answer. So write your draft. Get your first draft. Set that to the side. Get a separate file. Do this new file. Cut, fill, answer. Then give them to, to the reader, right? Get a beta reader and show them the first draft and have them read that and then give them the second draft. And I bet you money they will like the second draft better. It'll flow better. It'll flow faster. The timing will be better. If you're involving, you know, tension should be in a story. The tension will be tighter. People will be more anticipatory of what's coming. It will be a lot more fun for them as a reader. Because you took the time to do these things. You took the time to cut. You took the time to fill. You took the time to answer. And then after that, get another editor involved. Get a writing partner or find a professional editor, someone that can really help you. And this doesn't mean don't do line items, right? Because I can hear someone right now, oh, I don't have to do grammar because Matt didn't talk about line editing. No, I didn't talk about line editing because that's part of the job, writer. Going back and making sure your sentence structure is good and that you use the right words and everything else, that's part of the job. If you ask me what the difference between a writer and a content creator is, given that I write online a lot, I would tell you that content creators are the guys who are constantly misusing fucking words. They're called dictionaries, everybody. Shit, it's the internet age. You don't even need to have the book on your desk anymore. I don't. I don't. I'm not about to do that humble brag where I'm like, well, I keep a dictionary on my desk. I don't. Most writers I know don't either, except the pretentious ones who likes to say, I have a dictionary on my desk. I know one writer who still talks like that. I have a dictionary on my desk. They don't use it. They have a dictionary on their desk, and they use the dictionary on the computer. But it's there. It's available. It's on the desk. So they can say, oh, well, I keep a dictionary on my desk. Great. You know, I keep an ass in my pants. <laughs> so, <laughs> the point being, yes, you still have to line edit. Yes, you still have to check for grammar. Yes, you still have to check for sentence structure and for words and all of that, because that's the job. But this is me telling you how to edit the story. And you edit the story by A, cutting, B, filling, C, answering. I know, I just broke down editing. I just turned editing from this like, oh my God, I have to fix my story. How am I going to sacrifice my child to cut, fill, answer? So I got to do. Cut, fill, answer. Cut it. Fill the holes. Answer the questions. It's simple. Read it like a reader. Do it for your reader. Remember, this is not for you. The reason we do this is because when you wrote that perfect baby of a draft, when you started putting it down on paper, you had perfect knowledge. You did the brain dump. You know everything about that story. That's why we do things like answer, because you know the answer to questions, and your reader may not. And if you go back and look editorially and say, did I actually answer that question, you might be surprised. Because you think it was answered, but you know the answer. All right? You're cheating for the test. Your reader doesn't get to cheat for the test. They don't go into your short story reading your notes. All right? And they shouldn't have to. Well, that's it, right? That's the deal. That's how we talk about editing. We're almost done. We really are. We are literally almost done. Not kidding. We got this episode on editing. I think next week we're talking about shipping. And then it's the holiday special, because this shit's booming through. So, I hope you're enjoying your confessions of a working writer, working 
working class. What is it, master class? I'm Matt Hampton, and this is my not quite master class. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm just having fun with y'all. I missed talking to you. So with that, I'm going to go get some more go-go juice and uh, get started on my day and do some editing myself. So remember, cut, fill, answer. You can do it. You wrote the first draft. Editing's not that hard comparatively. Getting that first thing done, filling the blank page, that's the hard part. Editing, you're just psyching yourself out. You can do this. Go get them. Go create that brilliant piece of writing that I know you have in you. Kick your child out of the crib and make it grow. Make it grow into a lean, mean reading machine. That sounded really stupid. I'm sorry. Anyway, just get the kid grown up, okay? Get it some clothes. Send it to college. Get it out of the house. It's time for you to make another one, all right? You, you don't have time. We don't have time to linger on each individual story like we would on children. You don't have 18 years. The maturity cycle has to be faster than that. Get them dressed. Get them fed. Get them out the door. Be like, good. Go get a job. See you later. Love you. Moving on. Cut, fill, answer. That's the deal. All right, everybody. That's editing. Till next time. I'm Matt, just a working writer. And this has been my confession, lesson, hangout session with y'all. All right. I'll talk to y'all again real soon. Thank you.